Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, I'm Colin Ellis. Welcome to our show On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. This week, we're talking about power. Power as in electricity, the thing that keeps our lights on, our hospitals running, and our PlayStations playing. Remember the great North American blackout of 2003? I do. I was in a little town called Thornberry, which is a beautiful township just on the Georgian Bay. We, like the other 50 million people across Ontario and the northern U.S., lost power for more than a day, and it sucked. The blackout was so big you could see it from space, all because of one power line going down in Ohio. Where were you on August 14, 2003? If you experienced the blackout, you might remember commuters pitching in to direct traffic in the streets. Or maybe you had a neighbor throwing a backyard barbecue so the food and beer thawing in their fridges wouldn't go to waste. This was the blackout. So it is now coming up to about 6 o'clock Eastern Time. It's been just over 90 minutes since the power went out in New York City, Toronto, Ottawa, various cities uh, up and down the eastern seaboard. This is rush hour situation in Toronto right now. Traffic lights are down. There's absolute gridlock. Filmmaker Shasha Nakai moved to Toronto for school in the fall of 2003. She'd just come from Port Harcourt, Nigeria, and remembers the blackout still being a big deal. Even when I came, people were still would still talk about it, and <laughs> they still do to this day, and it's really funny. Like, oh, okay. I, tell, I tell people in Nigeria that there was this one blackout one time, and they find it hilarious. In Nigeria, where Shasha grew up, rolling blackouts are a part of daily life. Only half of its residents have electricity, and even then, service isn't always reliable. For everyday people, the lack of power affects them in ways that you might not necessarily think about if you live here in, in Toronto or in Ontario. For example, hospitals need to refrigerate vaccines. They need to refrigerate dead bodies. How does a community trust a government that can't even keep the lights on? Earlier this year, the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto premiered Take Light, Shasha's feature-length documentary that tries to address this question and more. That's coming up next on Docs. Uh, well, Shasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm always interested in the titles filmmakers come up with for their films. So maybe you could just start by telling us why you chose to call your film Take Light. Sure. Take Light actually is, um, you know, it's kind of the pigeon slang um, that everyone uses in Nigeria when they are talking about the power going out. Um, you know, they'll say they're going to take light, which means the power is going to go out. The film is set in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Um, just for those of us who don't know uh, much about Nigeria, where where ex- exactly is that in the country? Port Harcourt is in the south of Nigeria, and it's located in the Niger Delta region, which is a heavy oil and gas um, area. And what's your relationship like with that with uh, Port Harcourt? I uh, I grew up in Nigeria, so um, my mom has now lived there for forty years. Um, and I lived there till I was 15 years old. So um, it's very much a place that feels like home, but also isn't anymore. Hmm. Were your parents both born there? No, my mom is uh, Filipino. My dad's Iranian. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So 
the film, we're going to talk about the electricity problems in the country, but for you, what was it like growing up uh, with electricity there? I mean, I had a very, um, I had a fairly privileged upbringing in Nigeria, um, you know, given that my parents were well off. And um, so the power issues didn't affect me as much as they did everyday people who couldn't afford to buy diesel for their generators. Yet the power issues were still things that um, framed your everyday life. Um, So even though we did have a generator, the power would go in and out at very unpredictable times. So, um, you know, I remember being a kid and having to go out into the backyard in the shed in the middle of the night and have to turn on the generator. Hmm. Um, and it's very expensive to run a generator, so we couldn't always afford to keep it running whenever there was no power. So I very much remember um, power framing everyday life. Was there like a time you can remember like when the power went out when you were doing something and kind of uh, ruined your day or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was younger, so I I played a lot of PlayStation and um, there was I didn't have a memory card for my PlayStation, so I would play it for like four hours and then the power would go out. And I would have to start the game completely from the beginning again. <laughs> so it took me a very long time to beat this one game, Resident Evil. But, nice. <laughs> but I eventually beat it. You got to that. Okay. Yeah. My, my, my system was growing up was uh, Nintendo. So I, you can imagine how frustrating that would have been for me if I had to go through that. Yeah. Um, how does having power outages uh, affect Port Hardcore? And how does it affect institutions like healthcare, uh, the local economy? Yeah, for everyday people, um, the lack of power affects them in ways that you might not necessarily think about if you live here in in Toronto or in Ontario. Um, For example, hospitals need to refrigerate vaccines. They need to refrigerate dead bodies. Um, Everyday people have agency and they want to work. Um, but the cost of owning and opening your own business um, is astronomical for someone, especially because of the overhead, given that you have to buy so much diesel for your generator um, to keep the lights on. Um, and so when you arrived here, what was it like to have to explain the, this reality to people uh, living in Toronto? I couldn't really explain it. I mean, I could, I would try to explain it to people and they would always, you know, listen and wide-eyed and be astonished at how crazy it sounded. But you can't really convey it. Um, and in fact, for a lot of my friends that I've had for many, many years, this film was actually the very first time they truly understood um, what was, what I was talking about. And, and and ironically, you came the year of the famous blackout. Uh, did you kind of feel like that was you were in some kind of Twilight Zone episode <laughs> when that happened? I actually think I was at home when when it happened. I think I was visiting my parents. Oh, so you just missed it? Okay. Yeah. All right. That that was quite an event for many of us. A few of us know. were in the streets partying, <laughs> which is what you do during a blackout, apparently. But anyway. As, yes, and even when I came, people were still would still talk about it. And- <laughs> They still do to this day, and it's really funny. Like okay. I tell, I tell people in Nigeria that there was this one blackout one time, and they find it hilarious. Um, so, for listeners who may not be familiar with Nigeria, can you just explain how big their oil and gas reserves are? 
Yeah, it's it's very much um, the oil and gas industry is very much the lifeblood of the economy, and it is very much the driving force for so many decisions that happen in government and for the way so many people live their lives. And I guess they're a pretty big global player as well. Um, so, I mean, if they have all these oil and gas uh, reserves, why, uh, does there, why is their power grid so unreliable? That's a very funny question that <laughs> may take several hours to explain. <laughs> but um, I, I guess, you know, there are so many different intersecting factors that all kind of swirl together in this tangled mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, in a nutshell, um, the two main reasons are the um, infrastructure, the decaying infrastructure, and um, the capacity of the grid. And the second one is um, the actual generation capacity. Because um, a, because about 80% of the power is generated through natural gas, um, shortages, gas shortages mean that the generation capacity still isn't there yet. Hmm. And who are the who's the company that I guess uh, supplies uh, Nigeria with its energy? There are currently um, many different companies that are. Uh, so back in the day, the government ran um, the transmission, generation, and distribution chains. And at the moment, the government only runs the transmission chains, and the generation and distribution have been privatized. So um, I believe there's 13 discos. They're called discos. <laughs> they're distribution companies okay. that um, that distribute to customers. And you you focused mainly on one. Uh, the, I'm going to uh, say its uh, acronym. It's FED, but it's it stands for Port Harcourt Electricity Distribution Company, right? Yeah. So um, wh- let's talk about the, the workers because you, you did uh, follow um, them while they were uh, going to uh, people's households, uh, people who haven't pe- paid their bills. Can you just talk about that experience, what it was like filming with these people? Yeah, it was um, it was very chaotic filming with the PHED workers. We had, um, you know, had a whole briefing and talked to them beforehand about how we were going to approach it because... Uh, we're dealing with situations that happen very quickly. And so we had conversations about, you know, which communities might be more open to filming because there are some communities where the PHED workers have to go in with an entire truck of policemen. Um, we weren't going to go there. <laughs> um, and so we had discussions which communities would be more open to filming. And on a case-by-case basis, um, the crew would go in and tell the person, hey, we have this documentary crew with us. If you really don't want to be on camera, just, you know, let us know. And there were just so many different people that we ended up having enough that were interested. In the course of the film, we we learned that PHED, uh, what local residents call FED, uh, has a bad reputation amongst uh, people in Port Harcourt, um, and they call them NEPA. And, that's, and I should just say for people listening, that's the Uh, National Electric Power Authority, even though that's no longer the term for them. Um, Can you just talk a bit about the source of this animosity a bit? Yeah, historically, NEPA has been an organization that makes people laugh, but also makes them very angry. Hmm. Um, The NEPA man is almost always blamed for everything that goes wrong. Um, I remember when I was younger, 
they a, a bunch of a mob of people burned down a Nepa station because the power went out during a World Cup match, um, and it's historically been a very corrupt institution. Um, Although there's been a lot of corruption, a lot of money that was supposed to be spent on upgrading infrastructure, on um, improving generation capacity has gone missing. <laughs> and uh, people's, in people's everyday experience, the NEPA guy has been someone that you have to bribe to even get to pay attention to you. So there's this longstanding reputation that still carries over today. Uh, these uh, workers for, for the PHED... Uh, they'll come to a person's household. Talk, talk to us just about how they actually go about disconnecting the power. So in Nigeria, it's very simple. A guy climbs up a pole and snips a piece of wire. <laughs> and that's, that's how you get disconnected from the power grid. You quite literally just get disconnected. Wow. We've been talking about power outages and blackouts, but there's this other issue of people just not being able to afford their bills and getting their power cut. Well, there's a there's a scene actually uh, where someone was filming a, uh, a person cutting the power, and uh, I think he caught on fire and he fell. It was pretty uh, ooh, pretty dramatic. That guy who fell, his name is Martins. He's a Fed worker. We get a glimpse of his life through the film. Just a warning that what you're about to hear is him getting hurt pretty badly. In 2013, I was working on the 11,000 voltage line, and an operator. We went and drink and become drunk without knowing that somebody was on the line. He entered the control room, we were just staggering, and he went and unfit her. Boom! Everybody thought I was dead. Everybody. Yeah, it's a very dangerous job. Um, now, with PHED, um, supposedly, the safety guidelines are much more strict, but, um, you know, people are supposed to be cutting these lines when they're, uh, the main feeders are disconnected from the grid, but it doesn't always happen. Uh, and you do see videos or hear stories from time to time of um, workers on the line getting electrocuted. Uh, so there's that. But there's also the people who are harassing them as well. It, it, it's it's described as one of the worst jobs in Nigeria. Why would anyone take this job? When you don't have a job or a means of income for your family, if you um, have this opportunity, you're going to take it. And as you see from Martins, he's very, very grateful for this job. Hmm. He works every single day of the week, and he's still so grateful for this job because a lot of people, especially in Port Harcourt, don't have jobs right now. He even wants his daughter to become an electrical engineer. Yeah, he does. He does. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm working hard, because I need to train my daughter to work in this industry when I will live here. You want her to be an electrical engineer? Yes. It's not, there's nothing bad about that. Women are lawyers. Women are electrical engineers. In America, women drove, drive planes, you know. In Canada, it's happening. So my daughter cannot be exceptional. Well, and you had uh, one of the women who I guess is uh, going around and uh, talking to people about their bills, uh, Deborah. 
Um, you know, <laughs> I used to work in customer service, so I can sort of relate to this. You're dealing with a, dis- a difficult customer. Uh, the saying for us was kill them with kindness. She seems to be a little more blunt, if I can put it that way. You have a meter. You have a meter. You are not paid for what you don't use. You are not paid for what you don't use. You have a meter. Pay for what you use. You are owing. You are owing. The truth is bitter, but you are owing. If you're going to survive in Nigeria, you have to have that aggressive um, hand, really. Mm. That's just the honest truth. Um, It's... uh, yeah, it's a very difficult job, very difficult position she's in, Deborah. And oftentimes, as you see in the documentary, they get bullied by um, people who think they're somebody. And um, if she's going to survive in that job, she has to be very tough. Do you think she um, benefited from having you guys with her? Yeah. For sure. I think by the end of filming, the crew really wanted to have us there with them. <laughs> they really liked it because, of course, you have two people who look like they're foreigners. And um, whenever we were filming in the street, we would be required to have um, policemen with us. And so even though they occasionally do get policemen, they don't always have security. Yeah. So they really liked having us around. And um, our presence definitely lessened the aggressiveness of people towards them. Well, except, uh, I mean, there is one point at one point where it does get a little intense. Can you talk a bit about that uh, that experience? Yeah, that scene um, is only really a tip of the iceberg with what these people deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, because we were there and because we were specifically going to communities that were not necessarily troublemakers... Um, the what you see on camera is very mild compared to what a lot of the workers deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. This next question might be kind of uh, simple, but I mean, why don't they just pay their bills? Like, what's what are the issues or what are the reasons that people can't pay their bills, I guess? Um, there are many reasons, and it differs from person to person, of course, but I think a big part of it is people can't afford to pay it. Mm. Right now, um, a lot of people in Port Harcourt specifically were employed by the oil and gas industry, which is very slowly peeling back its presence and has done massive layoffs in the past several years. So a lot of people are unemployed and or they just can't afford to pay these you know, astronomical bills because the electricity is very expensive to generate in the first place. So, and then there's also the added layer of the history of Nigeria and of um, international oil and gas companies um, coming in and extracting oil from literally from beneath people's feet and, you know, those communities still not having power at all. So there's kind of, on some people's part, there's a little bit of um, an entitlement, you know, the country's wealth comes from beneath our feet. If you can't provide us with free electricity, then I don't know what else, you know, what else we deserve kind of thing. Well, and some, and some of them even hire um, an illegal electri- electrician to reconnect the power for them. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about this guy? I, I, I'm, his name uh, escapes me at the moment, but uh, you shoot him in dark. Him. Was his name Godwin? Godwin, yes. Yeah, so thank you. So he, so you shoot him in, in at night, and I guess his face is obscured. 
so what would I guess what would it cost to pay someone like him as opposed to just paying the bill? It really depends on what you want to get him to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that guy was someone that someone who will not be named uses the services of, <laughs> and so I uh, managed to get in touch with him through that person and. It really depends on what you want him to do. Sometimes you just want him to fix a light bulb in your house, and that's a totally legal thing. But sometimes people get him to reconnect transformers hmm. or um, reconnect their personal lines to the grid. Uh, it's really – there's not a fixed rate because it's not a very uh, legal job. <laughs> well, you've, you've looked at this issue for a, for a long time. Do, do you have sort of um... – do you hold? Do we hold anyone in particular responsible for Nigeria's electricity problems? I I can't really at this point. There's just so many different factors involved that go all the way back to you know colonialism. Hmm. There's there's so many factors, so many players. There's not. I don't really personally um, yeah. hold one person responsible. If you had to put the blame, uh, yeah, that would be really hard. It seems like the. Uh, the people in the community blame the the NEP, the Fed workers, PHED workers, uh, and they in turn are like, just pay your bills. It seems almost like they're being pitted against each other, but they're obviously both kind of in a they're both in a trap in some in some respects. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, and I and I think that's a big part of the film is that these people are being pitted against each other, but really they're all just like everyday working class people. Um, trying to make a living. Martins, who is the PHED guy, you, he goes back to his house and you see that even he doesn't have power. That's right. So he's also affected by this. So And the politicians, um, you know, are very, very far away making statements. And so that's why with the film, I didn't want to interview any politicians because they always say the same thing. And, um, you know, they're very far removed from the ground-level day-to-day reality of things. Do you think it was a mistake to privatize uh, NEPA? From my personal observations and my experiences and talking with people, um, there have been some improvements. Hmm. The grid capacity has doubled since privatization. Whether it's actually being used to that full capacity is another question. But there have been severe infrastructure upgrades um, because of that private money coming in. Um, People can now phone a 24-hour customer service line, which was never existed before. And there are certain things that are small improvements. But at the same time, the distribution companies are also stuck in this trap themselves. Yeah. Um, so there have been small improvements, but it still remains to be seen whether it's going to be successful. Well, you do uh, look at moments in the film where there are or there are moments in the film when you look at solutions, or at least potential solutions. Um, I'm thinking of alternative energy projects. Can you, do, th- do those kind of give you any hope? Yeah, renewable energy does give me hope. And I wanted to kind of mention it in the film, but not make it oversimplified, because mm. nothing in Nigeria is simple. From over here, you know, standing from over here, it might look very simple. Oh, you know, make renewable energy more accessible. But it's truly not that simple there. You know, there's so many things involved. Um, you're dealing with untying a very tightly woven net that 
does everything to support the oil and gas industry and um, is not really necessarily interested in renewable energy right now. Um, you know, there's also the the high um, maintenance rate that's required for solar panels. And at the same time, in Port Harcourt, if there's soot falling from the sky every day, then what's the point of having a solar panel if it's just going to be covered with soot? Wow, yeah, no. Fair, good point. Um, well, and, and you know, some of the skepticism that uh, that people have uh, of of alternative energy sources. I think um, I'm thinking of uh, two YouTube vloggers uh, who you interviewed, uh, James and Harry, uh, who I loved, by the way. Um, they they expressed a lot of the, the uh, some skepticism um, when it came to finding alternative energy sources. Is that kind of a widespread feeling? For sure. I think James and Harry are great because they're funny, but also they kind of embody what the everyman thinks. The problem with this country is that we fear change. What are we saying? Me, my point is that until Nigerians stop waiting for the government to do something for them... What can we do? Hmm. Alternative power. Renewable energy is still something that people are still very skeptical about in general. Just because, given the history of Nigeria, it's been a place where so many NGOs and international organizations and foreigners have come in and tried to do experiments with development that a lot of them didn't pan out or have failed. And so people are very skeptical when, um, you know, someone from the outside comes in telling them that, hey, there's this magic thing that, you you know, gives you free power from the sun. You know, it's... uh, People have to be skeptical because of their history. I'm wondering what you kind of hope viewers who say have never had their PlayStation cut uh, or had their worry their lights are going to go out in the hospital. What do you, what do you hope they will take away from this film? For um, Canadians who don't know much about Nigeria, I really just wanted them to get a better, more complex idea of what Nigeria is because we don't often see complicated um, portrayals of Nigeria. They're often very simple and, you know, most people hear their experience with with Nigeria is getting some scam email in their inbox. Um, so, Nigerian Prince thing, yeah. Yeah, so that's all. Uh, not a lot of people know much about what everyday life is actually like in Nigeria. So I'm hoping people get that, but also kind of start to think about where does their electricity come from and what are their energy systems? Are they Are they sustainable? Um, And for Nigerians here or in Nigeria, it's um, something really special when you finally see your experience on screen when you haven't um, for a very long time or you never have. So I'm hoping to kind of give people that experience and hold up that mirror to them um, to be able to reflect on it. Um, Internationally, we have to question our energy systems and how we're generating energy and whether it's compatible with the future of the survival of humanity on this planet, <laughs> really. Um, so it's a very, it's a global question right now. Yeah. Well, Shasha, this was uh, really fun. I really appreciated you coming in and I really enjoyed your film. Thank you so much for joining us today. And that's the podcast. Look for Take Light on the CBC this December. Join us next week for a brand new filmmaker on a brand new doc. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And better yet, tell a friend. Want to get in touch? 
write us at ondocs at tvo.org, or follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Thanks to producers Chantel Berganza and Matthew O'Mara, and production support coordinator Caitlin Plummer. Our podcast manager is Hannah Sung. Big thanks to all the people at TVO behind the scenes who make this show possible. We'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>